Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Levant X podcast, where we discuss both political and cultural issues. Today on the line with us, we have Dana Andribal from Oxfam. It's a UK-based charity. They are working from Beirut, and they have been really involved with events that are taking place after the August 4 blast. They were looking into certain details in certain communities as well, and we have brought them on the line to discuss the LGBTQ plus community in the country and the Oxfam report that was released a couple of months ago. So, Dana Ribal, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie, for having us. Thank you, Sophie. Well, it's a pleasure and so happy to have you guys with me. I mean, as we know, in a couple of days, it will be the one-year anniversary of the August 4th blast. And we are looking at protests and uh, a lot of unexplained or to soon find out things that will be taking place on the ground. So let's not get into those details because I know that that's not a role that Oxfam is playing. However, I have, I just want to start with two questions. One question is Oxfam is a UK based charity. So what kind of jurisdiction does it have in Beirut? What type of, um, roles does it play and what has it been trying to do on the ground since uh, the blast last year? Uh, I think I can answer that. Uh, so hi Sophie again, thanks for having us. Uh, Oxfam has been in Lebanon since 1993 and it mostly works with people who are affected by conflict. Uh, in Lebanon specifically, we have many pillars that we work under. Uh, we have the humanitarian pillar where uh, we focus on saving, on life-saving activities specifically in the Baqa and Tripoli and most recently in Beirut after the Beirut blast. We work with refugees and host communities. Uh, we also work on economic justice and uh, good governance, where we focus on economic empowerment for all population uh, in Lebanon, as well as good governance, where we promote uh, human rights, uh, we promote the values of good governance and of reforms uh, in Lebanon. We do all that with, with actually gender cross-cutting um, across all of our pillars. Uh, we don't do that alone. We do that with partners on the ground who support us and help us and uh, teach us how to execute all those, uh, uh, the mission mainly that we have and the objectives that we have under our programs across different pillars and the different areas that we work in. Dana, this is more of a personal question. And Ribal, uh, you can take a, take the mic after she's finished answering. I mean, both of you are based in Beirut. Oxfam is based in Beirut. Um, were you guys actually affected by the blast? And how hard it how hard has it been for you to deal with the post-traumatic stress or the PTSD while still being on the ground and having to, you know, put that to one side to be able to take into consideration others that have maybe affected worse than you are like how hard has that been for you yeah well um from Oxfam's side thankfully on that day we were all still working from home uh, because of the of the pandemic so it was still at its peak at the time uh, but unfortunately our offices in Beirut were were very much affected and they were uh, damaged in a sense uh some of our staff had their houses destroyed. They had, uh, they've lost a lot during the, the blast. Um, but I would say 
it's it's not really thanks to us it's really thanks to to all the organizations and all the individuals that were there within a few hours on the ground that we kind of felt like it's our duty to also join that mission uh, and also the the outpouring of uh, funds from donors so we had to play that role and it's it was literally just joining all the people that were there um so I think in that moment we realized how much humanity is, is really not dead in that sense. Uh, I mean, I cannot really speak to on behalf of the staff who were there because I was not. I, I personally could not cope with all those feelings and be on the ground at the same time. Um, but I would say they're heroes. I mean, <laughs> I, I really can't speak on their behalf. But I think if the, uh, some part of emotions were managed for the greater good, I would say. And Ribal, how, how did you handle that? Yeah, hello again, Sophie. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure if I'm still ready to talk about this experience yet. I've been, it's been almost a year and I can tell uh, some parts of the story. Uh, it's been a, a great tragedy. Uh, I was on the ground like, right next to the epicenter of the explosion, almost 45 minutes later, given that I have a lot of family members who live in Madam Khayil, I have a lot of friends, uh, many places that I, that I used to frequent, to hang out in. Um, and uh, as part of my duty, since I, I was working in the human rights, I was there on the ground to check how I could assist. Um, also, uh, the university college where I worked and first hospital where, where I worked, that I have a health uh, educational background, uh, was severely affected. I thought I could support as a parent. However, they were evacuating everyone. I didn't understand at first. It looked like a war, a war zone. And I'm talking about St. George Hospital. Well, I can see this has been very hard for you to even get those last few words out. Um, and everybody, I'm looking at rebels, so uh, I can see how uh, hard that was to say. I think it's very hard to have to bring up and deal with the, the memories of last year, because I think a lot of us have sort of put it to the background. A lot of us were on the ground immediately and haven't necessarily processed the feelings because we were just action oriented and just put that to one side and do and do and do and do and do. So it, it turned it's sort of like robotic and the fact that you're coming round to the to the one year anniversary and you're like oh my god it's been a year and I, have I even sat down with myself and processed what actually took place with my podcast I tend to like to get personal so people can actually relate to the people that are listening and and feel what's happening especially with the diaspora right now wondering and and freaking out about what's going to take place in Lebanon and what kind of handle they can have on this so Put that on the back burner. Thank you, Ribal, for opening up. I really do appreciate that. And I could see how difficult it was. Let's get on to the topic of Oxfam, what Oxfam has been doing. Uh, Dana, you told us a little bit about, you know, um, the pillars and the structure of the NGO and how it's been uh, organized to work and execute things since, uh, since the 90s. Am I right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so why did Oxfam take it upon itself as an NGO to focus on the LGBTQ plus community. Obviously, this is um, a taboo subject. 
uh, it's a subject that the government doesn't recognize, um, a subject that people don't really necessarily bring up um, comfortably, shall we say. And if they are to discuss, it's usually discussed in four walls because it's either against um, religion or it's against society or it's against the way the actual government has set up in its laws. So for Oxfam to really hone in on this and bring it to life and start to discuss this, you know, what was the ma- the driving force to, to take on that specific subject? Well, Oxfam is a rights-based organization. So what we try to do is to promote human rights across all of the programs that we work in. And I think for, for exactly the reasons that you've mentioned in the sense that this topic is still taboo, the LGBTQ community in Lebanon, uh, is very much marginalized with very little access to uh, basic needs sometimes. So those are some of the drivers that push us to design our programming all in all and not just specifically uh, about this topic. And this topic itself is uh, a topic that is important to Oxfam, important to our gender justice mission and uh, and objectives, if I may say. So it, it was necessary that we, we tackle it. Uh, we do uh, tackle the, the project uh, mainly under a program that is funded by the EU, and I think Libal can talk more about that, so I will uh, leave it to him. And also in partnership with partners who have been on the ground tackling very much bravely this topic for, for years now. Uh, I think I'll hand it over to, to Libal to discuss more the project uh, itself and what we're doing under it. Uh, this project falls completely under the mission and the vision of Oxfam, especially that Oxfam is interested in supporting and enhancing the lives of marginalized groups. And the LGBTIQ plus community in Lebanon is one of the most marginalized uh, communities, uh, especially after the several crises that the country has been going through. Given the economic and financial crisis, the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as uh, the Beirut blast. Uh, so this project comes uh, to um, it's been uh, it's it's a two year, two years long project. The project has started before uh, August 4, 2020, before the blast happened. Uh, so some of the activities and like the objectives of the of this project have been uh, slightly shifted to. Uh, to address the the disaster, the, the catastrophe that took place, hence this uh, research paper and this policy paper that have been produced by Oxfam. How did you manage to gather? I know you told me you go back two years, so but most of your data was sort of um, structured around, as you said, the aftermath of the Beirut blast and what it actually did to the LGBTQ plus community. So can you just give me a little bit about how you actually found these um, uh, data? How did you manage to b- bring up these numbers and percentages, given the fact that the LGBTQ plus community doesn't like to talk, doesn't like to be referred to, are scared to come out and and, and sort of put uh, their ideas or even be referred to as uh, part of the queer community. So how easy was this, A, to build this report, and B, who did you talk to, uh, and how many did you manage to get on board to be able to get these certified uh, numbers that you have today? Yeah, great question, Sophie. So uh, it's important to, uh, uh, to explain how the project is working. So the project is funded by the 
However, Oxfam is not the sole party that is implementing this project. Under this project, we have other uh, uh, partners who are working uh, with us on this project and specifically on implementing the activities on the ground with the, with the LGBTIQ plus community in terms of providing services, advocating and uh, trying to build a social uh, support network uh, that the LGBTIQ plus community mostly rely on in Lebanon in the absence of public institutions and other official institutions that provide services. So uh, in the preparation phase of this research paper and, and the policy document that have uh, been produced by Oxfam, Oxfam, uh, and also given that Oxfam does not have uh, a long experience in uh, targeting this uh, or tackling this issue in Lebanon. And given that localization is, uh, is um, uh, like, how can I say, uh, localization is something that really matters to Oxfam, uh, we have involved in this research paper and in all the preparation phase of it, all the CSOs, the civil society organization and national uh, NGOs that have been working for years and years on uh, this cause and who happen to be our partners on this project. So we have uh, conducted uh, several focus groups uh, with these organizations. We have also conducted a survey with LGBTIQ plus individuals. Mostly, most of them reside in Beirut and have been directly affected by the blast. However, we also interviewed uh, other LGBTIQ plus individuals who do not directly reside or work in Beirut just to assess how these individuals have been indirectly affected by uh, the Beirut blast. We have also um, interviewed some uh, informal aid groups who have uh, organized themselves right after the, the, the blast to either uh, conduct some, uh, some service mapping, some needs assessment, or uh, they, they launched some fundraising uh, events or fundraising initiatives to support those who have been affected by the blast. Um, we have interviewed in uh, total 101 individuals who have participated in our surveys or our questionnaires, our um, focused group focus groups or informal discussions uh dana i don't know if you can answer this one but it, it could be still up ribal's alley um ribal i mean you just said to me 101 individuals i'm sure the lgbtq plus community is is a lot larger than that now there's a lot of discussions that are taking place you have the sidc that are currently in the country that are trying to work with corporations to be able to bring um queer members into this in, in into corporate society and understand how to a talk to them acknowledge the situation be able to you know sort of do all the training necessary to 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 sort of bridge the gap, you know, as we were discussing, it's taboo, it's it's against society, society doesn't necessarily know, even if they do want to accept it, they don't really know how to go about it, there are sensitivities, I mean, we know these sensitivities, we're even seeing them in the West, you know, they're still being debated, so in the Arab world, it's, it's, it's even more... Um, it's even more uh, nuanced, you know, it's, it's so sensitive. So having 101 individuals come out and talk is great, but obviously the community is a lot larger than that. And um, I, I'm sure it's going to be quite hard for Oxfam to really get its fingers in and, and be able to create a larger difference when 
maybe there's still this barrier um, uh, and people, maybe people from the LGBTQ plus community are scared to even acknowledge or seek assistance from certain NGOs because that in turn could uh, create a backlash or retaliation from their family. So for you to, to do what you need to do and to be able to create social change and, and, and put in these working infrastructure to make sure that they can start to have some form of foundation to rebuild from, uh, this could take years, am I right? I think I'll, I'll just uh, jump in here. Uh, I feel like there's a lot in your question that I want to, to discuss. So I'll just uh, try to dissect it as, as much as possible. In terms of sensitivity, you are absolutely right. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivity around that topic and to have people come out and talk about it is not as easy as, as um, someone would hope to uh, would hope for in, in a sense of a human rights and advocacy and so on. Um, on the technical side, in terms of our programming, we make sure that all uh, identities are protected, information is confidential, uh, people can reach out. This is uh, in our programming with partners as well in the community centers that our partners have built and spent uh, years um, investing in. It's always a safe space for, for people to come through. And in order to, to really change those views about the LGBTQ community or maybe a little bit try to normalize the topic. Uh, this is the reason why we try to do our advocacy and this is the reason, uh, one of the reasons why this research has, has been published. So the more, this, this research is uh, one of the first uh, or one of very, very few research that is published on the LGBTQ community in, in Lebanon. And although we do recognize that the sample is not huge and is not possibly 100% representative. But what we wanted to get across is that there is a marginalized community that is suffering, that has needs that are very specific to this community that needs to be highlighted. And in the aftermath of the, of the explosion, while the explosion has affected uh, most everyone in the country, but obviously in different levels, uh, there is also a need to acknowledge that the main uh, areas that were destroyed are actually to a certain extent, or at least one of the most uh, safe um, safe neighborhoods for the LGBTQ community. So while we, and we received some of that backlash, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, while we do not deny that all communities have been affected, it is also very important to highlight that the LGBTQ community or the queer community living in this area was affected. The, the access to safe spaces, uh, the, the sort of, um, marginalization or uh, bullying or homophobia that they faced on the street while they're trying to uh, rethink about building their houses, trying to re-access shelter, um, trying to receive aid and need and so on, uh, is not to be underestimated in, um, in any way. And the, the reason why we publish a research like that is to normalize the topic, is to shed light on it, and is to understand that we cannot uh, keep the community in the dark forever. I would like to add something here, Sophie. Uh, indeed, 101 participants might not sound representative. The community is not uh, limited to 101 individuals in the country nor in Beirut. However, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the CSOs, our, sub, our um, uh, partners on this project, as well as other initiatives that uh, 
uh, arose after the Beirut blast have been on board and assisted us in uh, providing, generating data or providing us with the data that they have. And we know that LGBTIQ plus individuals indeed do not feel safe accessing services unless they are uh, receiving them from specific organizations operating in Lebanon and that have been working on the ground for several years now. And this has given us some, uh, some valid data, some strengths to support uh, uh, the credibility of this paper that we have launched, especially that most of the data we have, uh, we have used in this paper is generated by those organizations who have done themselves a lot of needs assessments, a lot of map service mapping. Uh, and they have used their archives, uh, the, the data they had for years, and they could compare between the data they had before the blast or before the before COVID-19 pandemic and after that, how the shift started happening, the increase in the needs uh, that were addressed in the paper, the increase in uh, types of violence that the LGBTIQ plus uh, individuals or the LGBTIQ community in general uh, is more prone to and uh, the, the numbers have and the figures have increased significantly after these crises. Um, their limited access to services despite their presence sometimes and uh, many other factors notably you know most of the services are centralized in Lebanon and Beirut uh, most of the organ the civil society organizations and the NGOs who are providing services to the LGBTQ plus community are centralized in Beirut so even people residing in remote areas or in faraway villages uh, you used to come to Beirut to benefit from these services, and now these services were um, disrupted or put on hold uh, for multiple uh, reasons. Most of them is the is the, the Beirut blast, who affected many community centers and many safe places where the queer individuals used to frequent or to hang out or to benefit from services from. Now, Dana, you mentioned a backlash, uh, Oxfam receiving a backlash for focusing or saying that the LGBTQ plus community was more uh, devastated than others. I mean, or why are you focusing on them? I, I, I don't understand, you know, what type of retaliation came your way? Was it the fact that they're, they're marginalized, they're a small community, why are we talking about them? Or was it, you know, Oxfam has um, a wide reach, it's a UK-based charity, it could be doing more for the country, you know, maybe it could be uh, investing its, its efforts and research into other things. What kind of backlash are you facing here? Is it because of the way the society perceives the LGBTQI, you know, plus community, what is, what, what kind of backlash did you face? I mean, I, I know there's going to be, I, I'm not in, in denial of this. However, the fact that Oxfam received it, it finds, I find shocking because Oxfam is not a local uh, NGO. It is um, a Western NGO. It is a UK based charity. So for it to hone in on things like that is not weird or wrong or, or any, any of that sense. And there are a lot of different NGOs doing lots of different things. So did you realize that this was a space, you know, that needed to be focused on because other NGOs were busy with other things and what remoted uh, and what uh, gave this backlash? Yeah, well, I don't think the backlash was about Oxfam at all. In fact, I think it was mostly about the sensitivity around the topic, which is what we discussed um, 
uh, which we discussed already, uh, there, there's a lot of sensitivity around the topic. And I think in people's head, the LGBTQ community, I don't want to generalize, but there is a general narrative that the LGBTQ community are just a very small community that, that, that doesn't, quote unquote, deserve that type of attention. So I think when the report was out in a sense that um, the LGBTQ community was one amongst the most affected communities in Lebanon, there was a certain form of backlash in a sense, why don't you focus on, on all communities in Lebanon? Why, why are you highlighting this specific community? So it's a kind of an like all lives matter approach <laughs> uh, in, that, in that way. Um, but I, I, again, I don't think the backlash was about Oxfam. It was about, about the topic itself. And it was just another sign that we're, we're breaking a taboo, that we're discussing a sensitive topic and that it's newly coming to light. It's not something that people can, can uh, really digest uh, very quickly. I think there's been so many things that have happened since COVID and since the August 4 blast that people in Lebanon have had to try to digest. You know, there's this denial of corruption. There's this absence of uh, accountability. There are so many things that the population has had to sit with itself and say, right, I've been living gracefully for 10 years. I've had so much fun. You know, the country's open. It's like living in London. You know, there really wasn't this feeling of living in a really closed Arabic society. You know, Lebanon's supposed to be the door to Europe, you know, and the door to the Middle East. So there, I think there's so many things that have had to go down. And what I have realized though, since August 4, is, the, is this discussion and this acceptance of being able to bring up topics like Lebanon's queer community, where, where they have been failed, you know, where they have not been acknowledged. Um, uh, as you said, public uh, services, they don't have, you know, I, maybe Rival, you can, you can touch on this in a minute, you know, I don't, I don't know for, per se, what's the HIV uh, and AIDS um, percentage in the country? Can this be treated? Are they being looked at? Are they just being shunned to have to deal with certain things? I mean, there's so many different elements but I feel like this conversation, finally, there is a space to have it. August 4th gave us a space to have so many different discussions. So Ribal, going back to you, this 101, which we know do not represent, you know, the, the length and breadth of the community. Do you feel conversations, you know, like Oxfam's paper and the policies and Helen coming out and speaking and, and a lot of different uh, NGOs that are that are taking a stand. Do you think this is creating a, a, a much larger space and a safer space, maybe on social media, um, through articles, and 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 for the for the community to to really come out and say, you know what, we've had enough, and we are here. We are not a small community. We we are a large community, but we've kept quiet for so long because we've been so scared about how we're going to be dealt with. But you know what, the country's a mess. Everything is a mess. There's nothing to be scared of any, anymore. It's time for us to really speak out and, and, and start to fight for our rights. Yes, in an ideal world, we would uh, think so. And this has been the case in many, in many incidents. However, we need to take into consideration many obstacles that have uh, been faced by the queer community, especially in the aftermath of the Beirut blast. And given that you, that you brought this up. I wanna give an example that has been also discussed and uh, tackled in, in the research paper. 
The presence of the armed forces and the police in the aftermath of the Beirut blast, especially affected the area of Beirut, uh, has um, has hindered the access of LGBTIQ plus individuals to services that most of them were provided by those governmental and official uh, agencies. For example, the Lebanese armed forces were providing food kits or food parcels uh, to uh, in the neighbors neighborhoods of Manamkhail and Jumeize and Shaitewe. Many uh, uh, LGBTIQ plus individuals, especially those whose gender identities are non-conforming, or the, particularly the trans community, uh, found a lot of difficulty in accessing these services or in reaching out and receiving those food parcels due to the fear and the stigma and the discrimination that are systematic in our, in, in our culture. And who would know they might be going to benefit from a food parcel and they might end up getting bullied, arrested, um, uh, stigmatized. Uh, so even the response to, the, to this crisis was uh, not inclusive, was uh, gendered in a way or another, and included a lot of um, uh, discrimination against specific groups. Uh, I would like here to uh, also to uh, uh, to tell you about a national uh, a, a national report that have been uh, published by the National Human Rights Commission in Lebanon. It's been out two days ago, and uh, they uh, they mentioned the violations that have been taking place in in the response of the Beirut blast, and it's one of the very like it's either the first time or the second time that an official uh, governmental uh, agency releases a statement that includes LGBTIQ plus Although it has a lot of flaws, but uh, it gives us an idea, an overview of the situation, of how the situation was following the Beirut blast. Uh, the the service providers who were on the ground, whether international NGOs, local NGOs, uh, community members, or uh, the the public sector, how they uh, affected in a way or another uh, a transparent and inclusive and um, a protective uh, response to the blast. Um, and, and uh, about other uh, do you stuff think you sorry i'm gonna cut you yeah. here but do you think yeah. that's hopeful like is that is that um something you feel is is actually created some form of social change you know like what you've just said to me i was shocked and i did not know about this and yes there's always going to be flaws as again you know why are we there's so much education that needs to be done for there not to be any flaws and there's still flaws in the western world you know there's there's still so many things that need to be dealt with and, and come out and uh but is it positive news? Like, how does that make you feel? Of course, it's positive news. In a way or another, I also contributed to this paper, so I was happy to see it uh, released. Uh, I'm glad that uh, there is room, that there are there is space that is being created and restricted to the LGBTIQ plus community. It's about time that this community is visible, that the challenges and the miseries that the, this, this community is going through in Lebanon is showcased, is um, addressed, and is going public. Uh, and I think this is very promising. 
uh, on all levels. I hope that it would make things better. I, do, I hope as, and similar to this research paper, because this research paper is just a baseline for future projects, for future initiatives that whether either Oxfam is gonna do the local organizations who are specialized in providing service to the community or advocating for the cause in Lebanon or any other agency that would like to contribute to the, to the queer cause in Lebanon, they can make use of this paper uh, to uh, address specific themes and specific challenges that the community has been going through. There's a lot of data that is, is present at the moment. Just People just need to dig in and know more about what's happening. Uh, Oxfam also, uh, is uh planning we're planning to be digging in deeper in this uh and basing on this uh on this research paper to explore specific themes that uh that arose following the blast and the multi uh crisis we are going through we will be focusing on other themes and indeed we will be collaborating with local partners our partners on this project to explore um the most relevant uh uh, crises or the most relevant theme that would be of interest to the community and that would serve the job. Thank you, Rubal, for giving us all of that information. Um, if you can also make sure that we have the relative links. So anyone who is listening to the podcast, we will make sure that the links are in the description. So once you finish listening, you can click onto the reports and so forth to understand more and in-depth information, things that we may not have covered. Now, Dana, so much to discuss. Like, it's, I, I can sit and say to you, what's the way forward here? I mean, Ribal has, you you have mentioned certain ideas that you guys are going to tackle. Ribal has just shown us that within the last 48 hours, things in the country seem to be changing. And uh, we do understand that your link to the LGBTQ community in the country is probably done through NGOs that have been working with these communities for so long to be able to have this credibility um, because there's a lot of doubt. They're very fearful. You know, I, I, even when I talk to them, they're like, who are you? Where did you come from? What do you want? So um, there, there is a very adverse reaction to things. Um, and there's this trend setting. It's like, oh, this is the thing. Yeah. Okay. Everyone wants to jump on and talk about it. And, and you know, we'll, we'll be seen more. The algorithm and Instagram will start to catch us. So I can understand, you know, the, the adverse reaction by the community to want to talk because they don't know if they're being um, spoken to to be able to create change or if they're being used um, for some hidden agenda. And uh, actually, there is a lot of people that are scared of each other. There seems to be this really um, catty thing that goes on or people bring each other down and, and, and stab each other in the back. So a lot of them remain quiet. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because both of you are aware that we're working on a film and it is a queer film and it is based in Beirut. And uh, it does highlight some of the things that have happened. It, we will be shooting the devastation and the destruction of the areas which were safe spaces once for this queer community. But the film is fiction and it's about love. So there is, there, there's a different way that we're trying to tackle this, but it's the first, I believe, probably queer film about love in Arabic that isn't drilling down your throat something taboo that you have to digest. It's just a way for you to sit back and say, oh, I understand that. I felt that with my husband or I felt that with my boyfriend or I felt that with my girlfriend. Like people who are more 
gender specific or boxed in, you know, for them to sort of like digest what love and life is about. Now, none of that touches on any of the points that you have, but Dana, I feel like there's a lot that you want to tell me. There is a lot that we probably haven't touched on. I don't know how much time we have left, so I'm going to give the, give you the mic if you'd like to mention anything that we haven't touched on. And I'm not sure if you guys are raising funds for a specific program or project. Um, please do take the chance also to put that out there because our listeners might be interested in, in helping out. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for talking about the film. I'm just very excited to watch it already. So good luck with that. Uh, other than that, I think one very important point that needs to, to be, uh, to, that I want to get across is mainly that some of the best work that has been done for the community is done by the community. Uh, so when we think about the community uh, is not reaching out or the community is uh, shying away and so on, I think we need to remember that, that the main advocacy work and the reason uh, where we're really talking right now about the LGBTQ rights are because of some members of the community that, that took on this upon themselves to actually advocate for, for, for better conditions. And although we still have a very long way to go and the queer community is still um, not very much accepted in the country, I think the work that has been done with some local organizations and some activists on the ground is absolutely amazing. And this, this door has been open since the, um, uh, since the October Revolution, I would say, or maybe before, but the October Revolution did provide some uh, space for a lot of marginalized communities to, to speak up, but it's still being carried on with the same, uh, if you want, um, what's the word, with the same enthusiasm, maybe, although for, for lack of better words in my head. Uh, so, so really, we, the community the community is the, the main leader leader in this. And if I want to say that one thing that should be advocated for and spoken up is uh, to stop misinterpreting or actually have a very clear law uh, that does not um, that does not uh, cause any type of threat to uh, to people from the LGBTQ community uh, and to, to actually have them protected by by law and not discriminated against at work, not discriminated against uh, on the streets uh, with the armed forces or any type of uh, security that we have in country. I think this is uh, the main message that I want to get across. Thank you, Dana. Ribal, one last question uh, popped into my head because Dana mentioned laws. Uh, do you, are you hopeful that uh, when we get there <laughs> to our new elections and bringing in um, youth or, or, or people that have more forward thinking ideas, do you think there is a chance that this could be um, revoked or tweaked or fixed? Do you think that would be, um, that there is hope in the next elections and with what might be coming in? Well, I cannot really give my opinion here because we were quite um, hopeful back in 2018, during the 2018 election, many political parties and people, candidates who were running for uh, parliamentary elections had queer cause on their agenda. And they were openly advocating for this cause and once they were elect elected, they never brought it up again. Uh, it was not of interest for them anymore. And they were not even, even held accountable. 
uh, luckily enough, many organizations, many institutions, many groups have been recording and uh, monitoring and documenting these uh, false hopes, false hopes that they've been spreading. And I hope that it will play a major role in the upcoming elections to know who really is supporting and standing for the cause and really isn't. Um, I would like also to uh, add to what Dana has been saying about the revolution, the revolution or the uprising, the movement, whatever you want to call it, uh, that have been taking place in Lebanon since October 17th, have created a safe space a street where the streets were a safe space for once to their community. It's a space that they weren't used to because it, it's, it's, uh, it's a scary place probably because they would be put under the microscope. There's a lot of spotlights that are uh, shed on them. So uh, it was a queer community claimed the space. The queer community and the feminist uh, community, the feminist movement were in the front lines of the protests, of the strikes, of the marches that have been taking place in Beirut. Unfortunately, COVID-19, the pandemic came, we all were, were locked in at our homes. Uh, however, the enthusiasm, the excitement was still there. Everyone was still um, excited to go back to the street, especially the queer community to uh, claim their rights or uh, to raise their demands until the, the, the Beirut blast took place. And I guess it, in a way or another, it broke everyone. And it broke all hopes, all dreams, and people still need some time to recover. We did not, we didn't acknowledge yet what happened. We're still in the process of acknowledging what's happened. And everyone is expressing their anger, their grief, sadness, their hopelessness in their way. Um, I myself still don't know what to do on the August on August 4, on uh, Wednesday. I don't know if I'm gonna lock myself in at home or go out to the streets or see some, or see the people that I was with last year. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of pressure that is being, uh, uh, like that is happening, that is being coerced on people, like how you should act, how what you should do. Uh, I guess it's the time we acknowledge that we need to look after ourselves. And the paper, the paper mentions how much the mental well-being and the and the mental health in general have uh, has been affected by uh, the multiple crises and the Beirut blast uh, specifically. So we need to look after ourselves. We need to practice some self-care uh, exercises uh, in order to. We will never get over what happened, but in order to heal in a way or another and move forward because there's a lot to do uh, the initial plan was set the organ the, the organizing started happening and the queer community should rely on what is what it has done in the early months of the revolution uh to, to kick off and move forward with their movement 
Dana, Ribal, thank you so much for having these discussions with me. Um, I've learned so much today. This was a learning process for both me, you, I believe, and uh, and our audience. Uh, there's so much. It's it's so it's ongoing. It's evolving. Um, things are coming up as 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 the days go by, and we can see the country or the people of the country opening up and and being more receptive to different types of discussions. So I'd like to thank you both for the work that you've been doing on the ground. Um, I know it's been hard uh, for both of you, um, for everyone. And as we come up to Wednesday to August 4, um, I do know that a lot of people will be going through a lot of different feelings, emotions. And I just want to say that we're, we, we are here, we, we, we are listening and you are not alone. And there are organizations that you can reach out to, you can speak to, that will listen. Please do call and do not sit with yourself and suffer by yourself. This is, this. at the end of the day, in the absence of a government, the people are for the people and work with the people. So again, we are here, pick up the phone and call. On that note, I just want to say Levon X is also a crowdfunded organization. And in order to continuously bring you these unfiltered stories, we continuously need backing and support from you guys. So please do head to the website, levonx.com, click the donate button and every little helps. So both of you, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie, for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Sophie, for uh, giving us this opportunity and giving us the space to talk about the LGBTIQ plus cause in Lebanon.